The New York Mets are reportedly out on the top of the market free agent starting pitchers. Should they be, though? I'll break it all down on today's edition of Locked On Mets. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, I'm breaking down Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell, the top two free agent starting pitchers that are on the market, who the Mets are reportedly not in on. In the first segment, I'll talk about Snell, who could bring an ace to the Mets rotation, why he still has a lot of value in this market. In the second segment, we'll look at what the cost would be, why the Mets might not be interested in Snell. Then in the final segment, I want to talk about Jordan Montgomery, and while the Mets might not be interested, I really think they should be. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan. You also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 of bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. The New York Mets missed out on their top free agent target this offseason. They had their eyes set squarely on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. He signed the Los Angeles Dodgers, and now the reports are that the Mets are out on the top of this free agent starting pitching class, which would be Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. Still a little bit murky if they are in on Shota and Minaga, who I've expressed in my last couple of shows my interest in and hoping that the Mets would also be interested in the Japanese left-handed starting pitcher, who I believe could be a number two this upcoming season. It could come in at a price tag that's less than Snell and Montgomery because whoever signs him still has to pay that posting fee. And, Look at what Kodai Senga got last year, a five-year, $75 million deal. I think Eminaga gets more, but doesn't get you know double that, which Montgomery and Snell are at least going to get. I mean, $150 is a low-end projection on what these guys are going to start their bidding wars at. So, Eminaga is still the guy I want the Mets to sign, but I also think that it is worth exploring these two free agents starting pitchers that are also left-handed, who are just out there right now with asking prices that teams have not been willing to meet. If there was a team that was aggressively pursuing Blake Snell at his asking price, which we'll get into a little bit more in the next segment, he might've been signed by now. Same thing with Jordan Montgomery. These guys waited out the Yoshinobu Yamamoto sweepstakes in hopes that some team would actually pay them. But we're going to begin all of this with what are these teams paying for? Why do these guys have such a high price tag? Aside from the fact that they're the top two arms on the market right now, which is part of what allows you to ask for you know, the moon, the sun, and the stars and try to settle somewhere below that once all the bidding finally comes in. But we'll start with Blake Snell. This guy's an ace. There is no disputing that he's an ace when he just went out and won the Cy Young. He pitched to a 2-2-5 ERA last season. He was amazing. He pitched 180 innings. He struck out 234 batters. 
He won 14 games, not that that matters much, but it was on a Padres team that was really struggling to find ways to win. He's really good. I did an entire show on uh, Who's Better Baseball. It's another uh, project I work on over at JustBaseball.com. And I compared Yoshinobu Yamamoto to Blake Snell. And what I said about the two pitchers, and this was, you know, probably close to a month ago now, but, you know, obviously still holds true. I said, if you were to rank the best starting pitchers in baseball going to the season, you would have to rank Blake Snell above Yoshinobu Yamamoto because his stuff is undeniable. He just went out there and did it. He just pitched at the top of the sport outside of Garrett Cole. You could say nobody had a better season this past year than Blake Snell. And I was pitching in the majors. Yamamoto, he was unbelievable in the NPB. This stuff might translate. He might be a Cy Young in the National League this year. Who knows? But he's still got to go out and prove it. And Blake Snell has been there, done that. He has shown why he can be atop the league. He's done it twice. He did it in 2018 when he pitched to a 1.89 ERA and went 180 and two-thirds for the Tampa Bay Rays and won 21 games. And then he did it this past year. The reason why there's so much apprehension towards Blake Snell is because you look at innings pitched in the other years that he's had. 2017, 24 starts, 129 to third innings pitched. 2019, year after his Cy Young, 23 starts, 107 innings pitched. 2020, he made 11 starts, pitched 50 innings. So, I mean, it's a shortened season, obviously, but didn't pitch at the top of the workload that year either. 2021, 128 and two-third innings pitch. That was over 27 starts for the Padres. And then 2022, he made 24 starts, pitched 128 innings. So there is that question of health. There is that question about him pitching deep into games. But what we just saw is he did it. Okay, you looked at the game logs this past year. I think it's really kind of a misconception that this guy doesn't go deep into games because I can run through it all. You look at the starts that he had this past year that were less than six innings. It was three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. 12 of his starts were less than six innings. Of those starts, most of them were at least five innings. And again, overall, he ended up pitching 180 innings. So you look at it, there was still 20 starts where he went six innings or more. Really good numbers overall. I mean, this guy can be an ace again though you'll just look at the past history and he hasn't done it enough to make teams comfortable about committing ace dollars to him and then there's the walks he led the league in walks while also being this incredible strikeout pitcher but that is sort of a method to his madness that's what he's trying to do out there you know he's trying to avoid bats at all costs he's not throwing the ball in the strike zone he's trying to get guys to chase and he's very effective at that but there are some guys that keep the bat in the shoulder, and that leads to a lot of walks. And also there's some times where he'll pitch around certain guys to get the matchup he wants. That's great for his personal numbers. That's great for his ERA. It's really good you know, when you look at being able to strand runners like this past year. He stranded 86.7% of the runners that he had let on base. But the last two years prior to that, it was around 74 75%. And that's the drastic difference in ERA. You know, in 2021, when we stranded 74.4% of runners, it was a 4.20 ERA instead of what we just saw this past season. Still, though, this guy is a really good pitcher. And I think when you try to contextualize his free agency, you have to think about what he's going to get paid, what he can bring to your team over a seven-year deal, and then compare that 
to the market that is going to be there not only this year, but in future years? What are the next aces going to get paid? And I want to talk about that stuff a little bit in the next segment. We'll talk about price tags. I still have Jordan Montgomery to discuss. So we're going to go through all of it. We'll look at the, the free agent class coming next, what Snell's going to make. And then we're going to close the show looking more at Jordan Montgomery. Before we get to any of that, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers getting $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options that include the spread, player props, over-unders, and more. And you have so many different sports you can bet on. Get the NFL season winding down with the playoffs now around the corner. So there's still always some football action that you get to lay a little money down on. The college football playoff is coming up now as well. And you got the NBA season every night. There is some NBA game that you can watch, whether you're going to pick a specific team, if you want to bet on a star player to have a big night, if they have a really good matchup, you can find all of that there for you at FanDuel. And remember, if you place a $5 money line bet, you can win $150 in bonus bets guaranteed if you cash in that bet. If you want to play today, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. If you don't want to miss out on any of the latest Mets news this offseason, make sure you become a Locked On Mets Insider. This is our texting service where I can send you updates anytime something breaks on the New York Mets. I can also send you updates about the show. You can ask me questions at any time. Try to answer every single question that I get from the Locked On Mets Insiders. I appreciate all of you who subscribe. If you want to, you can find a link in the episode description. Go to subtext.com slash Locked On Mets. Now let's get into the downside of Blake Snell. There's the qualifying offer that he was extended by the Padres. So you have to give draft pick compensation and bonus pool money to get him. And then there's the price tag. This guy is probably going to want something close to $30 million a season. And he might want as many as seven years. Okay, so seven years of Blake Snell at $30 million would be a $210 million contract. And he turned 31 earlier this month. So you're paying for age 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36. 37 on a seven-year deal for a pitcher who has some questions about health. I mean, generally, I will say the guy has made 24, actually 23 or more starts every year dating back to 2017, his sophomore season. And outside of 2019, he's pitched at least 128 innings. So it's not a guy that isn't throwing at all. This isn't Tyler Glass now, which is the perfect contract to look at because Tyler Glass now, from the Dodgers, just got a five-year, $136.5 million deal. Now, that included his $25 million for the 2024 season that they agreed to take on when they traded for him, and part of the trade was negotiated an extension. They extended him essentially for four years, $115.5 million. The extension number, if you just look at the last four years of that deal, comes in at $27.9 million per and if you add in the $25 million he was set to make in 2024, that takes the entire deal to an average annual value of $27.3 million. Now, if you had asked me who would I rather have for the next five years, Tyler Glasnow or Blake Snell, 
to me, there's no question it's Blake Snell because at least have some idea or a sense that the guy's going to be able to potentially give me 180 innings at some point over the course of that deal. Tyler Glass now just set a career high in innings pitch where he just got over 120 innings. So, you know, the contract that Glass now got was pretty shocking, and it shows you the market for top-end starting pitchers. No one's doubting that when Blake Snell's on the mound, he could be an ace. Just a matter of, one, how much he's going to be on the mound, and then, two, you know, how effective is he going to age? And you see a guy like Chris Sale, and there's some concern. If you look at what happened to Sale in Boston the last couple of years, where suddenly he couldn't stay on the mound. When he was on the mound, he hasn't been nearly as dominant as he used to be. And you look at, you know, Blake Snell and you just sort of wonder, is he going to be a guy that's going to break down in his 30s? And I think there is enough pause there where I understand not going in on Blake Snell. And I also get the idea of not giving up draft pick compensation. But still, with all of that said, you look at next year's free agent market. And I think if you sort of understand what those guys are probably going to get paid, it makes the Snell contract a little bit more palatable, okay? Because Garrett Cole, if he opts out of his contract, it's because he's going to be able to get, you know, the $35 million plus, and he's going to be able to get it over five plus years, if not six, seven years. Again, deciding a nine-year, $324 million, with stumbled over that, a nine-year, a nine-year, $324 million deal with the Yankees all those years ago. So if he opts out, he's going to expect a similar contract. Corbin Burns, he has no reason not to end up somewhere in that same neighborhood. I don't know how many years, but $35 million a season as the starting point, if he goes out and has another ace-like season, I think it's reasonable. Zach Wheeler, don't be surprised if the Phillies signed to an extension this offseason. They said that's their top priority now. They're basically just going to continue to roll with Nola and Wheeler after striking out on Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and rightfully so. So there's a good chance that Wheeler's not even going to be on the board next offseason. And you have Walker Bueller, who's going to have his first season off Tommy John this year, and it seems like he's got really good standing in that Dodgers organization, so I would not be surprised at all if he returned there. Shane Bieber seems to be a guy that is not necessarily on an upward trajectory anymore, so how much do you want to invest in him? And then you got Max Fried who the Braves have not given a contract to, and he's started to run to some injuries. So I list off all those pitchers, and while I do think that it is a great free agent class and the Mets should absolutely be all over Corbin Burns next year, I also think that when you really think about it, if you were to slide Snell into that class, I would probably put him right behind Cole and Burns if Wheeler's not part of it. Like, I'd still probably put Snell ahead of Bueller, although we'll see what Bueller looks like this year. Bieber and Freed, potentially. So, again, that price tag looks a little bit more reasonable. Overall, I get the Mets not going in on it, but, it, you know, it's just, it's still a guy that, if you were to sign Blake Snell and you look at the Mets rotation, if it was Snell, Senga, uh, and then Quintana, Severino, Hauser, you got a fighting chance. Are you a favorite? No chance, but you definitely go into the season thinking, all right, you could be a competitive wildcard team. And if you move forward with Blake Snell atop your rotation and Kodai Senga, it's not a bad starting point. And maybe one of your young pitchers established themselves this upcoming season. 
know, maybe you're able to sign Brandon Woodruff to a two-year deal where you can have him for 2025. And then next offseason, then you might be in the mix for a Corbin Burns. But you have Snell, Senga, and Woodruff in your back pocket. There's ways that signing Blake Snell makes a lot of sense. But ultimately, I think the biggest problem here is I think Snell wants to be on the West Coast. I think the Giants and apparently the Angels are in on him. I think one of those teams is going to give him a massive offer, which probably takes him off the table for the Mets. And I just think they're in a position where they're thinking so long-term that the idea of giving up draft capital for a guy that they're just not even entirely fired up about paying to that degree, it's just not going to jive with their long-term planning. And I think David Stearns is being cautious and, and rightfully so. You know, the Mets have come in, you know, guns ablazing the last couple of years. And while it did result in a 101 win season, it ultimately only resulted in one playoff win and two really miserable years in the three years under Steve Cohen. So being cautious is not the worst thing. But I do believe that if you look at Jordan Montgomery, there is reason to think that he is a stable enough pitcher that although the price may be escalated to a point that you don't necessarily love, I still think he's a guy the Mets should really consider signing. That's what we're going to talk about in the final segment here. You know, first, what he's going to make and should the Mets, you know, put in a viable offer and try to sign him because he can be your number two this season. There's no doubt about that. And I think he can be a guy that's going to be pretty healthy and a guy that is going to give you innings. And at this point, the Mets need to buy innings. This might be the guy that you spend on. I want to explain why the Mets should maybe get in the mix on Jordan Montgomery in a minute here. First, though, another word from our sponsors. Locked On has launched the first ever 24-7 streaming channel covering everything in the world of sports that is Locked On Sports today. This channel is streaming right now with your latest stories in the world of sports from our local experts on every team and our league-wide experts on each league. Find Locked On Sports today streaming 24-7 on YouTube. Jordan Montgomery wants a lot of money in free agency, and rightfully so. He's coming off a great postseason run with the Texas Rangers. And he wants to get paid Carlos Rodon money. Now, Carlos Rodon signed with the Yankees last year to a six-year, $162 million deal. That was $27 million per season after he pitched like an ace for the San Francisco Giants. Montgomery is not an ace. But in these meetings with teams, his agent, Scott Boris, is going to claim that he is one. He's going to say, hey, look, he was the ace of a team that won the World Series with the Texas Rangers. He started game one of the wildcard round. It was amazing. Seven innings of shutout baseball. Then that was against a good team in the Rays that sort of set the tone for the Rangers in their playoff run. He starts game two of the ALDS against the Orioles, a team that had their backs against the wall after losing game one. He allowed nine hits in that game, but you know, only gave up the four runs. The fact that he got through four innings in what was a slugfest of a game that the Rangers won still shows you the value of a Jordan Montgomery. The fact that he still gave you some innings when he div- didn't have his best stuff. Comes back, game one of the LCS, six and a third scoreless against the Houston Astros, again, setting the tone. Then he goes five and a third in game five, gives up two earned runs, game that the Rangers ultimately lost. Turns right back around, a couple days rest, 
and pitches out of the bullpen in game seven after Max Scherzer goes two and a third, does not allow a run. The guy competed like a bulldog. And in the World Series, he might not have had his best start, gave up four earned to the Diamondbacks, but he still got through six innings. He showed himself as a guy that can definitely pitch in October. And then you look at what he does in the regular season. This is where you should get really excited about Jordan Montgomery because the guy's posted up and he has made his starts the last three years. 30 starts, 32 starts, 32 starts in the last three seasons. You look at the ERA under four each time, 383 ERA and 157 and a third innings pitch in 2021 with the Yankees. 2022 between the Yankees and the Cardinals, a 348 ERA and 178 and a third innings pitch. And then this past year, career high. 188 and two-third innings pitch. That's before the playoffs. He had a 3-2-0 ERA. It's great. That was between the Cardinals and the Rangers. Look at his career. His rookie season, the guy made 29 starts, 155 and a third innings pitched to a 3-8-8 ERA. Next year, makes six starts, ends up needing Tommy John surgery, but he had a 3-6-2 ERA. Comes back 2019, only four innings pitched. He then makes 10 starts in 2020, get knocked around a bit. And then the last three years, he has gotten back to being the starting pitcher that he always profiled to be at the beginning of his career when he showed so much in his rookie season. For his career, the guy has now made 140 starts. He has 755 innings pitched. And through all of it, a 3.68 ERA, I think that's who he is. Like a 3.5 to 3.7 ERA. Me is typical season. The last two years, he's been better than that. So maybe he is more of a 3-5 guy who's going to give you 32 starts and 180 innings. And that is invaluable. Okay, guys are getting $14, $15 million to be fifth starters. A number two should get double that. And I think Jordan Montgomery can be that. He will turn 31 in a couple days, actually. His birthday is the 27th. So uh, early happy birthday to Jordan Montgomery. I don't think you give him a seven-year deal, but if you can get him on a five-year deal at that $27 million per season, I'd sign up for it. If he gets the exact Rodon contract, I think I'd be okay with it. I honestly would because the Mets need innings badly, and this guy can give it to them. He's already had his Tommy John surgery. That's in the rearview mirror. He's posted up the last three years. He's a six-foot-six lefty. He's a big guy. I think he can handle a workload. I really do. I don't see any reason why this guy isn't going to give you quality innings for at least the next four years. And if you're looking at that contract, if he does that and you have a guy that you can just pencil into your rotation, not even pencil, you pen him into your rotation for 2024, 25, 26, 27, a four year window where he profiles to be just rock solid, even if the end of that contract starts to look a little bit wonky if he starts to break down, starts to pitch you know, to a higher ERA maybe, gets hit a little bit harder. You know, I, I think it'd be worth it for what you're going to get on the front end. And honestly, there's some guys that are able to pitch well you know, later and later into their career. This isn't a guy that relies on incredible overpowering stuff. He's a guy that knows how to pitch, knows how to mix his looks, how to you know work north-south, east-west, you know, just a refined pitcher. And the fact that he was able to do it at the beginning of his career, at 24 years old, where he was able to make 29 starts and keep that ERA down, and then he went through injury, trials, tribulations, and then came out the other side of it the last three years, he has been able to just consistently make quality starts 
while pitching for three different teams and getting traded twice. That's not easy to do. And then on top of all of that, with the contract year in your mind and everything else, he goes out and has an unbelievable October. Remember that diving catch he made on the bunt in the playoffs? Jordan Montgomery is the type of guy that I think you want on your team. And I know that that price tag is a little bit crazy because the idea that this guy's going to make $27 million per season, you know, $7 million more than Eduardo Rodriguez got. And, you know, Erod got a four year deal. Jaymont wants, you know, a six, seven year deal. I get why that can be concerning. But I also think that, you know, big league innings are worth a lot of money. They just are. And, you know, if you were to tell me right now, right, that you have two options in front of you, and, and I'm telling you as a Mets fan that the Mets should pursue Shota Imanaga for all it's worth, because I do believe that they should go after that guy. And if I can say in, in one breath that the Mets should pay Shota Imanaga $110 million over a five-year deal, that's $22 million per season, and he has yet to pitch in the big leagues, and they have to tack on a posting fee on top of that, which... I'm not exactly sure because I haven't done the math on that posting fee exactly what it would cost, but I mean, it's at least north of 15 million. I'm just trying to base it off Yamamoto. His deal was crazy. It was 325 million. So, you know, it was like 51 and then look at like a third of it. I mean, what is that? Like 17 million. So, you know, 15 to $20 million range somewhere in there for Emanaga. So you tacked it on. Let's just call it 15 to make the number simple. If you're willing to give Shota Imanaga five years, 110 with a $15 million posting fee, that's five years, you know, 125. So 125, that's easy math, right? That's just 25 million per. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you look at Montgomery and it's just an extra year and $2 million more per season. It gets a lot less crazy when you look at it that way, right? Now, maybe the Mets aren't in on either of these guys, but if that's the case, then you refer back to my show that I did on Sunday. Are the Mets even trying to contend this year? You know, because these are guys that they could sign that would really help their rotation. And I think Jordan Montgomery would prefer to stay on the East Coast. I do believe that. He's reportedly living in Boston this offseason because uh, his wife has like a medical residency out there. Now, the Red Sox could be in the mix. The Yankees could be in the mix. I don't know what he gets paid. But if you court him as aggressively as you courted Yoshinobu Yamamoto and you lay out your future plan and you pony up market value right now, what they want, you might be able to jump the line and get this guy. And then it at least solves your biggest question. Go into next year with Senga, Montgomery, you know, Severino, Quintana. I only split up lefties there, putting Severino in the three spot. Hauser, McGill, Lucchese, Budo. It's not the best rotation in the world. But it's solid, and then if you can find the money to pony up for Corbin Burns next offseason, maybe you still get that Woodruff deal locked in too. All of a sudden, you have a great rotation in 2025. And Montgomery, if he's sliding into the two or three spot long term, you love that. The price tag might be somewhat ace money, but the way pitchers are getting paid more and more, I don't even know if it's crazy to think a three-star will make $27 million in 2026. You might just be getting out in front of it. and. I think with innings being at a premium right now and the fact that he doesn't have the qualifying offer attached, you don't have to give up any draft picks. It's just straight cash. And this is Steve Cohen's Mets. I really, the more I think about it, the, the less it makes sense to me that the Mets aren't in on this guy.
or like at least in the conversation. You're about to give a guy $325 million over 12 years. We're talking about half the years, half the money, basically, like pretty much right cut in half. For a guy that's done it the last three years, it doesn't make sense to me. Not to mention the posting fee, which makes it even more than, than half. I get Yamamoto was a unique situation, 25-year-old days. But a 31-year-old solid number two starter that I could pencil in for 180 innings the next four years, I think it's worth the price. I actually do. We'll see if the Mets ever get on the mix on Jordan Montgomery or they just sit by and let another team sign him. But we'll explore more of that later on tomorrow's show. We're going to talk about just a fun idea. Manny Machado. The Padres need to cut salary. Don't know if it's going to happen this offseason, but just putting in your mind what that contract looks like, how he would line up next to Francisco Lindor. Is that something the Mets should be potentially in on? I'll be breaking that all down tomorrow, so make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. I would love to get up to 8,000 subs, so appreciate all of you. Hit that subscribe button. If you want to be a Locked On Mets insider to get text updates from me on the show and on the latest news for the Mets, you'll find a link in the episode description. Go to subtext.com slash Locked On Mets. And now that you've reached the end of the show, check out Locked On Sports today, the 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube covering all the latest in the world of sports.